So now I'm going to invite up Van. He's our senior leader, and he's going to take us into a new message series today. Thanks, everyone. Great to see you all here today. I have to do something. When I was sitting down there, I noticed this sheet of paper over here blowing in the wind. Is that going to bother anybody? I can't even see it, but it's going to bother me. So we're going to get that off there. Yeah. You know how like churches give gifts away and they throw things out into the crowd? Who wants an old sign? All right, we're starting a new series today on 2 Timothy, and I wanted to start off with a joke or two, okay? Is that fair? There's this boy who was visiting his uncle, and uh, he was running through the house, and he knocked into a, a stand, and a vase went, fell off and broke. So he went and confessed that to his uncle, and he's really, really worried and nervous. And his uncle said, uh, do you know that that's a 17th century vase? And the boy was obviously relieved, and he said, oh, good, I thought it was new. (laughs) All right, the second one. This, this This is a little bit too close to home, okay? But when a guy says he wants a girl with a good sense of humor, he doesn't mean he wants a girl who can really tell good jokes. What he means is he wants a girl that will laugh at all of his jokes. Okay, come on, folks. Come on, let's let's hear it. One more, one more. I I only went two. The first service really laughed hard at both of those. So here's the third one. There's this older guy, probably my age, driving home from work, and he's on the, the, um, the bypass. And his wife calls him and says, honey, be careful. I just saw on the news that there's a car driving the wrong direction on on the bypass. And he says, honey, it's a lot worse than that. There are dozens of them. (laughs) Okay. Good, good. Uh, Did you know that many of the books of the New Testament, most of them, in fact, were originally letters that were written to a city? a church, a city, region, or an individual. And so in order to understand the letter that was written, you have to understand the person that wrote it, what their circumstances were. And you have to understand their relationship with the person or the church that's receiving it and what's happening there as well. And so when we look at 2 Timothy, we see that uh, this letter was written from a man named Paul. He was an apostle. And he wrote it to Timothy who had been his uh, protege, had been his top disciple for more than 20 years now. And so this whole epistle is written with an intent. And the title that we gave to the, to the book for this series is Rise Above. Because what Paul wants to help Timothy be able to do is to rise above the circumstances of his life, Rise above the resistance he's going to face as a leader of the church in Ephesus. Timothy is pastoring the church in Ephesus. To rise above discouragement and heartache and pain that he's going to encounter in in his lifetime of service and ministry. Now, someone sent me a a phrase this week, and I'm, I'm not always big into stuff like this, but I really like this one. 
And um, she got it from her dad. And, and it was this. Your attitude determines your altitude. Okay, you get that? Your attitude determines your altitude. And so Paul is encouraging Timothy to have the right attitude. But it's not as simple as just saying, well, have a positive attitude and everything will work out. It's not like that at all. A positive attitude without the Holy Spirit or without the, the knowledge of who God is, is just positive thinking and there's no power in that. But when you recognize that Paul is writing to Timothy, it, who knows Jesus. So what he's saying to him here is, in Jesus, you can have hope. In Jesus, you can rise above the things that you're, you have faced and the things you're going to face in this life. Now, the Apostle Paul himself was a man that was by nature incredibly passionate and determined and totally committed to whatever cause he was involved in. In fact, before he became a Christian, he persecuted Christians. And before he became a believer in Jesus, he did his best to kill and imprison all of the Christians that, that he could. The New Testament actually uses a Greek word that would be translated best as ravaged. It says Paul ravaged the church. And that word in the original language is a word that would be used of a wild animal tearing its prey apart limb from limb. And so picture one of those nature shows where you see the the, the lion or the leopard chasing the impala down and you're so you're cheering for that impala and you're hoping he keeps running and and they don't and it, th- that's the picture that, that you have of the apostle paul before he got saved in fact he was at the stoning of stephen the first martyr and he approved of it and and uh and he was involved in going city to city and finding christians and throwing them in prison now paul was the kind of guy that we like to watch in the movies where you see at the beginning of the movie, you, you have to watch it to the end because you want to see this bad guy get killed. Have you ever watched a movie like that? You want to see the bad guy get killed, okay? That's funny, guys. Okay, come on. Liven up here some. You, I mean, if we were watching a movie and you didn't know how Paul was going to change, you'd be thinking, that guy really deserves to die. I can't wait to see what's going to happen to him. And so Paul was, was this passionate man. And, but Paul was also an intellectual, he was really smart, a genius. He wrote the book of Romans, which was just a, a genius book as far as the flow and the logic of it goes. But it wasn't logic that converted Paul. Do you know that? It wasn't. It wasn't arguments about the Messiah from the Old Testament, showing him convincing proof from the Old Testament that Jesus was really the Messiah. That didn't do it for Paul. Do you know what brought Paul to his knees, what brought Paul to conversion, was a real dynamic experience with Christ. It was an experience that brought Paul to salvation. He was on his way to Damascus uh, with the intent of imprisoning Christians there. And, and as he's going, a bright light shines from heaven. Uh, Paul falls to the ground and he looks up and he says, who are you, Lord? He recognized that wh- whoever was speaking to him right now was greater than him. So he calls him Lord. And, and the voice says, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And it was that dynamic, real, living experience with God, supernatural experience that trumped all of his belief and all of his convictions. 
And Paul, this passionate man, then as passionately as he was opposed to the church and to the message of the gospel before, he became just as passionately supportive of it now. And so Paul is the guy now that's committed to taking this message everywhere in the world. And if you want to be on Paul's team, you better be ready. You better be committed because you're going to get left behind if, if, you, if you can't keep up. And, and so this, this, this man was a man that most of us would attribute with being the vessel that God used to spread the gospel throughout the, the whole Mediterranean world and, and ultimately Western civilization. But Paul and um, another man, Barnabas, were both in Antioch, part of the church there. And it came to a point where they realized they had to take this gospel out into Asia Minor. And so the elders and leaders of that church sent Paul and Barnabas, and they took along with them a young man named John Mark. And they're, uh, they're, they're going on this trip into Asia Minor. They leave, they leave Antioch, and they go to Cyprus, a short, just a, a short trip. A sailing, sailed to Cyprus, and then from Cyprus sailed up into Asia Minor. And as soon as they got to Asia Minor, John Mark bailed. John Mark quit the team. Uh, for some reason, it was too hard, or he was anticipating it was too hard, but they hadn't even gotten into the hard stuff yet. They hadn't even traveled into Asia Minor, into the mountains, and where the bandits lived, and where there was disease. And, and he quit right there at the outset. So he goes back home, and Paul and Barnabas complete the journey. They come back to Antioch and report in. And probably about a year later, they're ready to make a, new, a second trip. What they want to do is to go to all the cities that they preached at the first time and strengthen the churches there. And then they want to extend it even beyond that and go out in, in further into Greece and carry the gospel there. Now, Barnabas, his name means son of encouragement. And so Barnabas says, well, all right, we've got to give John Mark another chance. We've got to take him along with us again. And Paul says, absolutely not. This is a rigorous journey. This is a hard trip. He bailed on us the first time he quit. We can't trust him to have him on the team this time. And so the two of them are having this debate over this. And, and really, as I look at this, you know, I've been on several mission trips into uh, other cultures, sometimes dangerous places. And the last thing you want is somebody on your team that isn't really committed. The last thing you want is somebody that's going to start complaining or somebody that's going to, they're going to to want to quit halfway through. So I really understand what Paul's thinking here, but it came to a point where they couldn't come to agreement. And so Paul and Barnabas separated. Barnabas took John Mark and went off. Paul partnered with a, a new partner now named Silas. So Paul and Silas now go off Crete, then up into Asia Minor. But uh, Barnabas takes John Mark, and you never really hear of the two of them again, except at the end of this book, 2 Timothy, and this is really interesting. 20 years later, the Apostle Paul says to Timothy, send John Mark to me because he's useful in the things of the kingdom. And so whatever happened in those 20 years, Paul had gained confidence in John Mark, and Barnabas's work in John Mark's life as his mentor and friend built him up to the point that now he, he is able to stand and he is able to do the things that God's calling him to do. But uh, when, when Paul and Silas uh, get to about the same area that John Mark had quit on the first trip, they hear about this young guy named Timothy. And Timothy is well spoken of, it says, in three cities there. There are three cities that are close together, and uh, Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. 
And when they get there, they hear about this young guy. And it's interesting to me that Paul's really committed to having a younger person on this trip. He's really committed to that. He realizes he's not going to be here forever, even at that point. And he's got to pass on to others what he has gained himself. And so they recruit Timothy and Timothy goes on the rest of the trip with them. And from that point on, Paul and Timothy were father and son. Timothy was Paul's spiritual son. And, and they, they had a very close relationship. The problem is that Paul, as he writes this letter to Timothy, Timothy is the pastor of the church in Ephesus, a major city church that Paul planted and left Timothy there to pastor that church. And Paul is in Rome in a prison. And Paul is in Rome in a prison and condemned to death. So he knows that his time on this earth is short. And Timothy in Ephesus has faced a lot of resistance and difficulty. There's false teaching. There's false teachers. Paul wrote the letter 1 Timothy in order to correct that all. And and 1 Timothy, he wrote, for Timothy to read to the whole church. And in it, he really, he really validates Timothy as the leader of the church in Ephesus. This letter is different. This letter is personal. This letter is heartfelt. It is not a letter written with that purpose to strengthen Timothy's role in the church. It's written just to strengthen Timothy's heart so that he can go on when Paul is no longer there. Because very soon, Timothy's going to lose his mentor of more than 20 years. And that's a hard thing. Now, uh, you might think about that. You might say, well, wait a second. Um, Timothy is in Ephesus. How far is Ephesus from Rome? How often do they see each other? And actually, Ephesus from Rome is about 833 miles, uh, a little bit less than that, as the crow flies. So it would be longer than that uh, in, in traveling time. And they didn't have, like, interstate highways. You couldn't zip along at 70 miles an hour. Or is anybody right now thinking, who drives 70 anymore? No? Okay, I was thinking that as soon as I said that. You couldn't zip along at 80 miles an hour and get there in 10 hours, okay? It took months, long, arduous, dangerous journey to get between Rome and Ephesus. And so you might think and say, well, wait a second, then they don't see each other that often. Why, why would it be a big deal for Timothy that Paul's going to die other than the fact that he would be sad? And if you're thinking that, here's what I want to say. The role of a spiritual father, the role of a father in life is so significant that that 800 mile gap really doesn't make a big difference. Because Timothy is Paul's spiritual son. He calls him, in, in, the first, in the first book, he calls him my true son in the faith, which was more formal and official because he wants to establish Timothy as the leader. Here in the second one, he calls him my beloved son. And so there is a heart-to-heart connection between them that transcends the miles. And fathering is something that transcends the miles, in fact, I, I was thinking of this, that my own father passed away in 1988. Uh, he was one month short of his uh, 62nd birthday. I was 37 years old at the time, and uh, I really wasn't ready for him to go. 62 is just way too young. And I, 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 you know, I, I remember the sense of loss and grief, but as well, I understand 
that even though he wasn't a daily part of my life, we lived in Michigan. They lived in Pennsylvania. It was a full day's drive to get there. We went back maybe twice a year. We had little kids. Back in those days, you didn't have a cell phone with all the prepaid minutes. You could call anybody in the world you wanted to. You had to pay for every minute you're on the phone. And you add to that that my dad was a grew up during the Depression, then went and fought World War II. And those guys were not like... Um, real open with their feelings and emotions, especially over the phone. And so we didn't really see each other often. But nevertheless, when he died, I felt this sense of being uncovered. I felt this sense of, of well, it, it, it kind of like shakes your sense of security somewhat. You feel exposed. It's like, like you're out in a rainstorm and someone takes your umbrella away. And that's how I felt. I felt like now my, his job is my job, and I'm not ready for that. And there's this sense of loss that happens when you lose someone like that, a father, a spiritual father or a natural father, that leaves you with a, with a sense of not knowing what's next. I've likened it to this, that it felt kind of like I was in line and not paying attention and all of a sudden, it's my turn in line, and I don't have my stuff together yet. I need to go up to the window or whatever. Maybe it's a bank, and, and all of a sudden, I look up, and, and, and it's my turn, but I'm not ready for this yet. And so, Timothy is going to experience that same thing. When Paul's gone, even though the distance is there, his covering is gone. And he's suddenly the first guy in line, and is he ready for that? So, Paul writes this letter to strengthen his heart to in, in, encourage him to rise above, where, where this, the series title, Rise Above, comes into play throughout the book. But uh, what we're going to do right now is to read the first seven verses, 2 Timothy 1, verses 1 through 7. Because um, this, this, this beginning is incredibly powerful. We have to see even see the first verses where... Paul is talking about how he identifies himself to Timothy. You know, I know I've encouraged you to bring a Bible, and boy, I really do that. Bring a Bible with you, bring a pen, write in it, mark in it. You know, you're allowed to write in the Bible. Did you know that? How many of you thought you'd go to hell if you wrote in the Bible? <laughs> yep, I know. I, I, when I was in Sunday school as a little boy, a kid, another boy in the class had carbon paper and he put it on the Bible and scribbled on it. And the rest of us saw that. And we just looked at him and said, man, you're going to hell. <laughs> you are going to hell. You are hopeless. You just de- you desecrated the Bible. It's over for you. But the truth is, you are allowed to write in your Bible. You're allowed to do that. And you should because you're going to see things that you're going to forget. And I have Bibles over the years. I, have, well, I know what Bible I used when we lived in Michigan. And there are times that I might think of a verse that God spoke to me through there. I'll go get that Bible out and because I've underlined it and put arrows on it and I can find it. So there's real value. And I know so many of us use electronic Bibles. I do that too at home. But it's a lot harder to find what verses you highlighted. So I encourage you to bring a Bible, at least, at least use an electronic Bible, okay? So you can follow along. 2 Timothy 1 verses 1 through 7. I'm going to read from the New American Standard Bible. Here he says this, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, 
mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I want to stop right there and say there's a phrase there. He says, according to the promise of life in Christ Jesus. You know, that's everything right there. We get life through Jesus. We get life through Jesus. That's why Paul has done everything he's done because Jesus gives life. And that's going to be the basis for everything he tells Timothy in this book. Why Timothy should be faithful. Why he should keep going. Why? Because there's life in Christ Jesus. There's life in Jesus. And there's, no, there's life nowhere else. In John chapter 6, Jesus had thousands of people following him. He said some things they didn't like. And so thousands of them left him. And Jesus turned to his apostles and he said, are you going to leave too? And here's what Peter said in John 6, 68. He said, where would we go? You alone have words of life. Peter said, where else could we go and, and find life other than through you? You alone have words of life. So there is life through Jesus. And it's because of that life that we receive through Jesus, that's why we do what we do. That's what he's saying to Timothy. That's why, Timothy, you need to keep on going. We're going to see that as we move through this. But he goes on, he says to Timothy, my beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He says, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. As I constantly remember you in my prayers night and day, longing to see you, even as I recall your tears, so that I may be filled with joy. For I am mindful of the sincere faith within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am sure that it is in you as well. For this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power and love and discipline. And I think that last word, discipline, should be translated a sound mind. So what we see here is this promise of life in Christ Jesus as the bedrock, the foundation for everything else that's, that's going to come for Timothy. But that Paul's intent is to strengthen Timothy's heart so he can rise above the resistance, the pain, the heartache, and the difficulty that he not only already has faced, but he's going to face in the future. Now, can't we all identify with that? I mean, we're all facing difficulty of some kind in life. We're all facing pain from some angle. Maybe it's because of a decision I made myself. Maybe it's because of things other people did or just I don't know why it happened. But there are difficulties in life. And so there are going to be lessons throughout this entire book for each one of us on how we can rise above, how we can keep going, and how we can be what God's called us to be. So my first question is this. What are the keys to rising above that we would see in this opening paragraph? What are they? And the first thing I want to say is this. Their relationship is a key to rising above. Paul's relationship with Timothy. And, and notice this. He starts off by saying, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the will of God. Now, that sounds kind of like a formal greeting to me. Why, why would he say, uh, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus? That would be like me writing a letter to Wilson and saying, Van, senior pastor of Vineyard Church Northwest. I mean, don't, doesn't he know that already? Of course he does. And of course, Timothy knows that too. But here's why he did this. He wants Timothy to know that even though he's at the end of his life, 
Even though he knows it's not long until Nero's going to call his number and Paul's going to be taken out along the Appian Way and either have his head crushed or be decapitated. He knows that's coming and he wants Timothy to know that he has no hesitation to say, this is the life I've led. This is the calling of God in my life. This is what God had, this is what God brought me to and I've been faithful to it. So that He's, he's, not, he's not backing off from that at all. He's saying, yes, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. That's my identity. That's who I am. That's what God's called me to as one of his children. And so just that alone would strengthen Timothy. For Timothy to know, here my mentor, my, my main mentor is facing death at any moment in time. And he's still standing strong saying, this is who I am. This is what God called me to. And I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to be faithful to it throughout. And so he goes on and he, he calls Timothy, my beloved son. And, and when, when, he's, when he speaks to Timothy, my beloved son. Uh, there, there's, there's just, you can just, you can read the emotion in that. And he later, he says, I long to see you. And he says, I remember your tears and you're my beloved son. And, and that connection, that heart to heart connection is something that will keep Timothy going even after Paul is gone. And so Paul right now at the end of his life is able to say in 2 Timothy 4, 7, the last chapter of this book, he says, I have fought the good fight. He says, I've finished the course, I've finished the race, and I have kept the faith. And so his intent is to equip Timothy to do the same thing and to be able to say the same thing at the end of his life. To be able to look back at the end of his life and say, I've, I've stayed faithful. I have stayed true. I've run the course that God gave to me. And, and I think about this and the whole mentoring issue. It, there, there are two things that um, come to my mind. One is, really, it is the heart-to-heart connection and the significance of that. Someone asked me just last week about key mentors in my life. And I realized as I named a few people um, or identified a few people that, you know, the biggest thing for me in having mentors in life is boils down to one simple thing, and that is this. They like me. It's an amazing thing to think this person that I really admire and, and is really so far ahead of me in life, they like me. They care about me. They see something in me that they believe is worth their time. And so there's, there's something about the heart-to-heart connection that bleeds over truth and life into the heart of the other. There's a man named Larry Crabb that some of you may know who Larry Crabb is, a counselor, and he wrote several books on counseling. And then he, um, he had a son that rebelled in college and went uh, the wrong direction, and he went through this season of time of just heartache and pain. And a- a- as he came out of that season of time, he wrote a new book, and you know what it was called? It was called Connecting. And in the opening chapters, he says, you know, a lot of the stuff I said before, I realize now, you know, it can be sterile and it can be something that really, it doesn't really have a whole lot of life to it unless there's a heart-to-heart connection. And there's something about that heart-to-heart connection that bleeds life and truth and strength over. Second thing I want to say about mentors is this, and, and one of my mentors told me this recently, that we oftentimes leave our key mentors too early. You know, people that have really meant a lot in our lives, we get busy, we move away, you know, we have kids, they, they get busy, and, and we leave them behind. Or maybe it's because we feel like we've gone as far as we can with them. 
They've done everything for us. They, they can, they've taught us everything they can. And it's time for me to move on to someone else. But Paul and Timothy, they had a lifelong relationship. And there's something valuable, incredibly powerful about long-term mentor relationships. Long-term father, son, spiritual father, spiritual son, spiritual mother, spiritual daughter. There's something powerful about those long-term relationships that last over the years. But um, you see here their relationship. But then Paul takes relationship a little different direction. And he talks about heritage. And, and he talks about him, himself having been faithful to his forefathers. He said, I serve God with a clear conscience as my forefathers did. And, and so Paul is referring back to all of the Old Testament, all the heroes of the Old Testament, to the kings, the godly kings, the godly prophets, as well as the godly shepherds and, and vine dressers and farmers. And he's looking back to that saying, I have a heritage in this, part of my heritage as, as a Jewish man, but it is a spiritual heritage as well because they remained faithful. I'm carrying on in, in their line. Now, part of this might have been uh, to help strengthen Timothy's heart because some of the attacks he was facing in Ephesus were from people that were distorting the Old Testament. And they were taking the Old Testament law and they were wanting to bring it into the relational aspect of their lives today and say, well, you, yeah, you accept Jesus and you have to obey all these laws too. And Paul is saying, no, we are the ones that are in line with, with, with our patriarchs. And so Paul makes that strong statement. And Timothy, by his relationship with Paul, Timothy is part of that. And, and Timothy himself was half Jewish and half Gentile. So it would have been a, an important um, strengthening of his heart for him to be included in that with Paul, that because he's related to Paul spiritually and, and they are both related, they are both part of this, uh, this um, heritage that, uh, of, the, of, the, um, of the ones that have gone before that they, that they are following in their line. And so that, that's, that's incredibly important. And he goes on and he talks about Timothy's not just spiritual heritage, but Timothy's personal physical heritage, his biological heritage. And he says that it was Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice that were believers first. And so he says, Paul, Paul says, Timothy, I see sincere faith in you. I know it's true. I know it's real, just as it was in your grandmother Lois and just as it was in your mother Eunice. And so right there, he's tying Paul tying Timothy's heart to his physical, biological lineage and giving him cause there to keep on believing and to keep on going and and to be strengthened. And there is something that really strengthens our hearts about all of this. And I don't think that we all need to go out and totally search our heritage out in order to find spiritual strength. But when you do run across things, it's good, it's helpful. And, and I ran across this, this piece of information about a family member from a couple generations ago. My grandmother on my father's side's maiden name was Stuart. And that's where I get the middle name Stuart. And just in case you're ever writing it down, it's E-W. It's not U-A-R-T. It's E-W-A-R-T. But um, um, the Stuart family had some prominence in western Pennsylvania and this was back probably at the turn of the 20th century, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, in that, in that time frame. I don't know if they were my grandmother's um, cousins or uncles. I think they might have been her uncles. But 
They were known as tough men because that was a tough era. It was a tough place to live. And so they were known as men that could stand up for themselves if they needed to. But they were also known for compassion. And one of them was a Sunday school superintendent at the church that he attended. And he had invited this family to come to church, but they wouldn't come because they didn't have shoes for their children. And they were embarrassed to come to church. I don't know if the adults had shoes or not, but at least the children did not have shoes. They were embarrassed to do that, so they wouldn't come. So my ancestor took his shoes off one day, rode up to their house with a wagon, walked up to their door shoeless, and invited them to come to church. And because he did that, they were then willing to to feel like they could be included too and, and come to church. And I look at that and I just think, that's all right, way to go. That's awesome. It it really blesses my heart, and and it strengthens your resolve to realize that. It strengthens your resolve. Uh, On a non-spiritual note, we had a relative, a woman that survived an Indian uh, war in those days in Pennsylvania. The uh, Native Americans and the um, Europeans coming in had wars, and she survived this massacre, and she built a raft and rafted down the Allegheny River to safety with her children. So I look at that too and I think, wow, that's really cool to know that there were people that that had strength and fortitude and and others that had this spiritual understanding and depth and humility. It strengthens us. And every one of you have people like that in your background. In your spiritual background, you have someone that led you to Jesus and someone that led them to Jesus. That's your heritage. And someone that led them to Jesus, that's your heritage. And you have biological heritage as well, either people that that did amazing things or people that really knew Jesus and and did amazing acts of faith. And realizing that, it gives us the strength to say, I'm not going to be the one that breaks this chain. I'm not going to be the one that drops the ball. I'm sure glad that the generations in the past kept, kept faithful to the Lord so that we could get the message today. And we don't want to be the generation or the people that drop that, that, drop that and, and let it go. So heritage really strengthens us in a, in a real profound way. Now, now um, you move on. Uh, he goes on in verse 6. And here he says, basically, just stir this up. It's this verse. Uh, he says, for this reason, I remind you to kindle afresh the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So kindle it afresh. The, 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 the gift of God in you through the laying on of my hands. And kindle it afresh is a, a one word from, made up from three Greek words. One of the Greek words is fire. One of the Greek words is light. And one of the Greek words is again. And so it's light that fire again. I do it again. Keep the fire burning. It doesn't necessarily mean that Timothy has, has waned or that his faith has, has he stumbled in faith or anything like that. But it does, it does speak to this. It takes work to keep the fire going. You have to pay attention to it. Um, my son, I had a smoker at one point. About five years ago, I had this great idea, maybe, maybe longer than that. I had this great idea of a new hobby. I'm going to start smoking meat. Boy, doesn't that sound good? I'm going to smoke meat. And I have a picture of myself sitting by this smoker like four or five hours, making sure the temperature stays perfect and maybe smoke a cigar along the way and just sitting there and enjoying this all day long. 
And it wasn't long until I found out I really don't have very many days where I have four or five hours to just sit by a smoker and make sure the temperature's right. And I also found out in that process that if the temperature's not right, it really doesn't happen the right way. And so I eventually just sat there for years. And I gave it to my son, Chad, um, who took it to Chicago. And last week, Chad texted us and said, hey, you guys mind if I sell this smoker? And so he's going to sell it and use the money for a family vacation this summer. But, um, yeah, so look, we've all agreed. My advice is if you want a smoker, get an electric smoker, okay? Just unless you really have the time and you really want to do it. But it, it works. It's hard to keep the fire going and to keep it up. Have you ever camped out? Have you ever uh, slept under the stars? Or have you ever slept in a tent and there's a blazing fire going maybe when you, when you nod off and when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you're cold, the fire's totally out. Because if it's not tended, it goes out. And so what Paul's saying to Timothy is, Timothy, keep, keep doing what you're doing. And even more. Keep doing what you're doing. And even more. Stir it up even more. There's always more of God. Always more. Jordan Pelfrey, our youth pastor, and I are reading a book together. And in it, uh, the author talked about the angels around the throne of God that are 24 hours a day. They're saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And they're falling on their faces before him. And this author said it would be very easy to view that in a kind of like a rote way. Like they all carry their lunch buckets to work, say, well, okay, ready to go. All right, and then to fall down and get back up, fall down and get back up. Just like someone working in a factory, an assembly line. And this author said, no. He said, I, I don't think that's what was happening. The, these, these angels see God, and he is so amazing that they, they can do nothing else other than fall on their face and worship. And they finally get back up. And when they see him again, they see some nuance of his beauty some new, fresh nuances of his beauty, and all they can do is fall to the ground again. And that that's just happening constantly, that it's a living thing because there's always more of God to see. There's always more of God to experience. There's always more of his beauty and his life and the wonder of who he is for us to engage with. And that's why Paul can say to Timothy, keep stirring it up. Keep going. Every day of your life, there's more of God to see. There's more fire to have in your heart. But notice he says... The, the gifts in you, uh, the gifts in you, it, it's, he says this, this whole idea of there, there are gifts in you. And he, he doesn't really tell Timothy how here. I'm kind of surprised. I thought, well, if I was writing this, I would say stir it up. And here's the five things you need to do, stir it up. Have a quiet time every morning, you know, uh, read the Bible, pray, um, witness, whatever. But he doesn't do that. And, and I think the answers are in the text here as to how do you stir it up, and probably in 1 Timothy as well, where he says things like the word of God is sufficient for, for the person of God, for the man of God to be fully equipped. So the word of God fits into the whole thing, just feeding on the Bible and allowing God to speak to us through it. But there's other things too, and I think one of them would be just simply to value it. Value the gift that God's put in you. And think about this. The living God, the creator of the universe, who is so massive that he created all the stars in heaven and what we look at and we think that's infinite. How could, you know, he created that and he created you and he looked at you and he said, I want you to have this gift and I'm going to put this in you. And to one, he puts in the gift of mercy. 
so that when they're in a situation where someone's hurting, they're the person that's really able to comfort and encourage. To another, he puts in the gift of helps. And that person, they, they look around and they say, oh, these chairs need straightened up. Oh, someone didn't pick that up. I'm going to go do that. And, and there's just this, th- that's what they're motivated to do internally. And, and another receives the gift of uh, evangelism. And they're motivated just to get out there and share the gospel with people. Have you ever noticed that uh, there are Sunday mornings where I will, at the end of a message, ask people to receive Jesus, and nobody does? Have you ever been here when Wilson's done that? Anybody? No. Nobody has. All right. Let's do this. Just turn to the person beside you and, and say something to them. Talk to them, okay? Let's loosen up some here, folks, okay? Am I just speaking way too long here or what? Am I so mesmerizing? You're, you're all like in a daze. Okay, so um, these gifts, he put, he put a gift in you. He put it in you, and when you use that gift, you release the kingdom of God into the room. You release the kingdom of God into this world. When the person with the gift of helps straightens the chairs, they are releasing the kingdom of God into the room. When the person who's gifted to preach preaches, they're releasing the kingdom of God. When the person who leads worship, and, and on and on, in all of the gifts in the New Testament, there are a number of them we can't go into right now. But you have gifts in you. God put them there. And Paul's saying, that's so valuable. Don't just let them lie there dormant. It's so precious and special. You've got to stir those up and use them. And so whatever the gifts are in your heart, the, you know, the call is stir them up. So value it. Um, just receive this exhortation to stir it up. That's one thing we can do. Just say yes to God. God, yes, I want this. I want... I want you to stir the gifts in me. I, I open my heart to you. Just do that right now. Just, Lord, I open my heart to you for you to stir the gifts you put in me more. Show me how to value them more and how to flow with them more. Because that, that's what God's will is for us. That's why he gave us these gifts. So just receive the exhortation. But, um, yeah, it goes on. I, you know, one of the things I think is this. Just one last thing. Besides staying close to Jesus, stay close to Jesus, pursue Jesus. He's the giver of the gifts. Pursue him, love him, worship him. But here's something else. Realize how short life is. Life is short. It is short. And when we realize that, then it brings things into perspective for us at whatever point along the way we might find ourselves. And I know for myself, I, I mentioned my dad to you earlier. The year he died, I wrote him a letter the year before he died, right in that 12-month range, and just said, Dad, I, I just really want to know about your spiritual welfare and, and being. And, and he assured me he was genuinely saved. The book of Romans, Romans 8 was his favorite chapter. And he knew that his mother had wanted him to be a pastor, and so I knew that, I knew that or before this, but he relates that in his letter. And he had, in, he, he rebelled against that. He didn't come to know Jesus until he was in his 50s. And then he had a couple of heart attacks. And then in his late 50s, he came down with rheumatoid arthritis very severely. And he spent a lot of time just lying in bed because he couldn't get up because of the pain. 
But he told me in that letter that um, he said, I, I make up sermons lying here. And he said, I think some of them are pretty good too. And how one pastor that had been at the church right after he got saved was going to let him speak, but then things changed and he never got to. And um, after he wrote that and said, I think some of them are pretty good too, he said this. He said, but, but it's too late for me now. Too late. So a couple years after I got that letter from him, I was thinking about leaving ministry. Some of you have heard this, I know, but many of you haven't. And, and, and I'm thinking about leaving, and I even went to a, um, into a, to a career counselor to find out what other career could I pursue. Went through all this testing. And then one day I was praying about this and thinking it through. And uh, it was a Friday morning. It was pouring down rain outside, and I was standing by the front windows, the open glass doors of the church looking out. And I remember my dad's letter. And I remember that phrase that he said, it's too late. And I just thought to myself, I don't want to write a letter like that to my kids. I don't want to come to the end of my life and say, I wish I had done that. I wish I hadn't quit. I wish I had gone for it. And that kept me going, just remembering that. So there's just something powerful about the whole idea of heritage. But there's something powerful, too, about this idea that life is short. And life is going to be short no matter what. If you're young, you're going to blink and you're going to be my age. And I'm going to be long gone. A lot of you are. (laughs) Now you're starting to lighten up some. That's good. Okay, so we're going to receive our offering right now. If you would, grab that back. So worship team is going to come out. Once the offering's done, you're welcome to uh, come up front to worship. A lot of people do that. There's just something about the physical act of saying, I'm going to step out. I'm going to walk. I'm not going to care what people think about me. I'm going to step out and walk up here. There's something just about not being distracted by anyone or anything else. And I know some people say that about the very back of the room, too. So uh, that's, that's okay, too. But as they come out, we'll get ready for worship. I'm going to pray. So let's stand, okay? Father God, we're thankful for your goodness. We're thankful for your incredible love for us. We want to worship you just like the angels around your throne. Show us more of your glory so that there's nothing we can do other than fall on our faces and say glory, holy, the holy God.
Thank you, God. Thank you. Open our eyes to see it more, Lord. Open our eyes to see more of your love. Give us revelation. Give us deeper revelation of your heart for us personally, but for others around us too. You know, I think that um, it is the love of God that breaks off shame from our lives and a sense of inadequacy. And one of the things that I sense was that there would be people here today that really feel unworthy. And as I talked about stirring up you know, what God's put in you, the gifts he's put in you, you might feel like that, you know, that's, that time's passed. I'm unworthy. I've made too many mistakes. I've done too many things. But um, God's love through Jesus cancels all of that. Do you know that? Cancels all of that. Yeah. And he makes you totally new. And you are adequate in Christ because he's made you new. You have a, you have a Jesus heart now. And so I, I want to pray for freedom from shame and guilt. I, I sense that there'll be people here today that really feel trapped by culture. And what I mean by that is that there is so much sexual promiscuity. There is so much um, unbelief in culture that, and you're involved in it and in the, in the culture, I mean. And, and you just feel like you're trapped there in some aspect of this. And there's freedom for you. You, we need, you. you need to know that this love of God breaks that free. And you can rise above the culture. <laughs> you can rise above the culture. That's, that's what God's call is to us. And we want to pray for strength for you, for your hearts. Physical healing. Come on up. We want to pray for physical healing. Had a great night at the healing rooms last night. Um, and um, more physical healing will take place today. But uh, some of you experienced God's presence and you sensed it in your hands, like hands tingling or your feet maybe, or maybe your mouth became kind of like numb. Um, and some of you felt like something like being dropped on your shoulders. And those are all like just manifestations of God's presence that should signal to you, come and get a little bit more, okay? So come up and get prayer about that, what God's speaking to you through that, okay? Uh, so, Father God, thank you again for your incredible love for us. Thank you, Jesus. We honor you. It's, it's our privilege of life to be able to worship you together. And let, let us live lives of worship to you throughout this week now by your presence and Holy Spirit, your power. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so awesome to see you here. We'll continue with Second Timothy next week, and we'll see you then. Thanks for coming.